super excited to start this new series, um, Never Too Late. And we're going to open it up today talking about the fact that God is never late. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate waiting, right? I mean, in the morning, I hate waiting for my coffee to percolate. Uh, I hate waiting in traffic. Uh, I hate waiting in airport lines. Uh, I hate, honestly, waiting for Danielle when she's late to get ready in the morning. Don't kill me, babe. I'm so sorry. There's really nothing good that comes from things in life being late. And I feel that many of us, you know, we've, congratulations, I want to say you made it. Uh, You made it through 2020. God bless you all. But many of us, even though the year technically has ticked over, many of us are finding ourselves at this very moment waiting on something, right? We're praying for something. We're believing for something. But we're finding ourselves in this season where we feel like You know, we're not where we used to be, but we certainly aren't where we eventually want to be. And I often find myself asking this question, why isn't God doing something about this? Right, you ever wonder that going through 2020? As things seem to continue to go down, you're like, why isn't God? Like you're thinking, surely this is as bad as it can get only to find out that the next day something else happens. You're like, God, why are you not doing something? Maybe it's a financial challenge that you faced this year. Maybe it's a health-related challenge. Maybe it's something that happened inside of a relationship that you really care about, and you find yourselves waiting for the change, waiting for that turnaround, wondering why isn't God doing anything about it? And here's the comforting truth of this reality is that each and every one of us have faced or are currently facing in some area of our life a season of waiting. Maybe you're waiting on a lot of things. Maybe you're waiting on a few things. But each of us, wherever we are, we are in this season where we know that God could do something Right? We've, we've seen him do it in others. Maybe you've seen him answer the same prayer that you're praying in somebody else's life. And he doesn't necessarily in our life, excuse me, do the thing that we think that he should be doing. And so we find ourselves waiting. And many times in our life, we've faced intense seasons where we felt like we were waiting. Maybe you were, you're right now waiting to conceive. You know, maybe you're in this room or online and you're waiting to get married, right? You're wondering, where is that guy? Where is that girl? Maybe you're waiting on, you know, a prodigal child who is, you know, far from God at this point and you've heard the promise of God and you know that they're going to come, but you're finding yourself in this season of waiting. Maybe you're waiting to find a new job. Maybe you're waiting for healing in your body. Maybe you're waiting for someone that you love to come to know Christ, And I think that oftentimes the thing that makes the waiting season hard, especially as believers, is we know that God could do something about the thing that we're waiting for. And sometimes we can find ourselves feeling frustrated because we don't know 
why he isn't. Now, I've learned something in the years that I've walked with God, and I've learned something in the years that I have had to wait for things, is that a waiting season with God is never a wasted season. I'll say that again. A waiting season with God is never a wasted season. That it doesn't matter how long you've been waiting. doesn't matter how impossible the situation. It doesn't honestly matter if it's worse today than it was when you first entered into this waiting season. God is never late. It might feel like he's late. The answer to the prayer may have been significantly better if it came three months ago. Maybe you have no idea why you find yourself in this place. But a waiting season is never a wasted season. And we're going to talk about the, uh, a very famous passage of scripture. Uh, it's found in John chapter 11. And it's the story of, uh, you know, three siblings, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. And now, to bring a little bit of context into the story, these are not three random people. When we read about them in the book of John, they're not three random people. It's not some unnamed person that, you know, flies in and flies out of Jesus' life. But in the Gospel of Luke, we, we know that Jesus has spent a lot of time well, you know, we know at least with Mary and Martha, and I'm assuming also with Lazarus, that he's been with them and he's taught them and he's been in their house and he's eaten their cooking, right? We know the famous story about, you know, Mary and Martha, you know, that Martha is the stressed out lady and don't be a Martha. And then we're like, we have Mary who's kind of like the, you know, the first century hippie and she's kind of just like hanging out at Jesus's feet and right. So, so, so we know that Jesus was very familiar, that Jesus had been in the house. And in fact, we'll, we'll read that uh, in the, the account in the book of John that we see that Jesus was very relational close to these people. And we read in the story that in John chapter 11 that these friends of Jesus, that their brother Lazarus gets really sick. You know? Like this isn't just like, you know, he has a cold or he has, you know, like a boo-boo on his thumb. He's really sick, and they know that this sickness, there's really only one direction it can go. And they reach out to Jesus, and, and this is where we pick up in the story. In John chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to the Lord, Lord, the one you love is sick. So we see very quickly that this was not just some random guy. It wasn't like, you know, Jesus gets, you know, 4,000 letters a day to come to somebody's house. You know, this is like Mary and Martha had Jesus's personal cell phone number. Like they knew him intimately and personally. And, and for them, for John to write, the one that you love indicates there's a depth of relationship. And so I'm sure that when Mary and Martha wrote this letter or sent this word to Jesus, they're thinking, of course Jesus is going to come. Like, we've seen him do greater things than this so many times. Of course he's going to, you know, wake up early and rush to get to our house, you know. And 
I can imagine the friends, you know, start to doubt. You know, you know you, everybody has that friend or knows that person who has the famous friend. And they talk about their famous friend as if they're famous, right? And you're like, you know, don't worry, he's going to be here. And you're like, really? Like, Jesus. You honestly think that, Je yeah, don't worry, Jesus is going to be here for sure. And they're like, seriously, you know, Jesus. And, you know, then, then time progresses and we know that Lazarus starts to get worse. And, you know, and I can imagine if I was one of their friends, I'd be like, you know, your brother sure doesn't look good. You know, like, are you sure that you don't want to, you know, take him to the doctors? At least maybe you should get a second opinion, something. But, but Mary and Martha are unshaken in their belief. And they're like, he, Jesus, we know Jesus. He's been in my house. He's my friend. I've served him. I've, I've ate with him. I've dined with him. I know Jesus will be here. But then time passes. One hour, two hours, Jesus isn't here. Oh, maybe he got caught in donkey traffic. Surely he'll be here. Tomorrow comes. Another day, you know, checking, watch, thinking, you know, is this right? You know, rushing around, thinking, do I have the wrong time? Am I just stressed out or nervous? And Days go by and Jesus doesn't come. And oftentimes I find that we can find ourselves in this very same spot. And oftentimes, honestly, this is the part usually at this point is when you start reminding God why God should be helping you. Right? Anybody ever done that before online? Maybe you've done that where you start to recount all the things that you did for God that should make you the recipient of him to do something for you as if God owes you something for the things that you gave to him. You're like, you know, like God, like, don't you remember? I gave that fake Santa a $5 bill. I mean, I listen to WDCX all the time, you know, the same five songs played over and over, and I do that for you, and, and last month, or maybe it was three months ago, I tweeted that one Bible verse, and you know, God, I serve at the church. Serve at the church, I serve in Light City Kids in the two-year-old room, right? You know, those crazy savages that bite and pinch, and oh, I do that for you, where are you? We've all been here, but I've learned something very real, that a waiting season is never a wasted season. But what I have learned is that we have to learn how to wait well. And I've learned two, really two main things that help me to maneuver and make it through the waiting seasons in God and things that I remember when I'm waiting on God. And the first thing is, is that God delays are not necessarily God denials. Let me say that again. God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. This is really a fancy way of saying just because God hasn't done it yet doesn't mean that God isn't eventually going to do it. 
I, I can remember teaching the first years this year in LCSM and, and teaching them, you know, the famous parable of Mark chapter 4. And, you know, we love it when the soil produces 30, 60, and 100 fold. But as Jesus is referencing this parable at other mo moments, we know that it says that the farmer, you know, goes to sleep and wakes up and goes to sleep and wakes up. And he has no idea the day when finally he's going to be able to harvest those things. So can I tell you something? Just because God hasn't done it yet does not mean that he isn't going to. And we see this in John chapter 11, verse 4. That when Jesus heard this, referencing when he heard that Lazarus was sick, Jesus makes a statement, and he says it like this. This sickness will not end in death. Now, he introduces a very interesting, potentially challenging concept inside of this scripture. The sickness won't end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Here's the thing, we know this because we get to be the third party reading the story. But Mary and Martha didn't know because they sent word to Jesus and it wasn't like Jesus texted them back quick. Because how many of you know texting is a fairly modern thing? They didn't exist in the first century. So we know that Jesus makes this definitive declaration that it will not end in death. But Mary and Martha, they're still just waiting at home watching the natural progression of this sickness continue to deteriorate and degrade at the one that they love, their brother, their family's life. Now, here's the thing that I've learned from this passage of Scripture and others is that many delays that we experience in our life are actually divine delays. Because here's the thing is we know that Jesus could have healed Lazarus in that moment. In fact, we see that concept played out in Jesus' life. When the centurion comes to Jesus, he kind of pushes his way through the crowd and gets to Jesus and says, my servant is dying. And Jesus says, take me to your house. And the servant says, no, 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 I don't need you to come to my house. Just say the word. And I know that my servant will be healed. And so we know that in this moment, Jesus had the power to be able to heal Lazarus in that moment. But how many of you know Jesus had a different reason? He was trying to accomplish something different. That God often has a reason behind his not yet. And I've realized almost always what that is, is that God almost always wants to do something in you before he does something for you, okay? God wants to do something in me before he does the thing for me. Why? Because we could be so focused on the temporal things, but what God is focused on is that which is eternal, He's more interested on the inside. He's more interested on what's in me than he is on doing things 
for me. We can often think that success is in the solution. But I've learned with God that God views success in the surrender. So our greatest seasons of growth very often come on the heels of intense seasons of grief. Is this not true? Is it not that we go through seasons so often in our life and we're like, why is this here? Why is this happening to me? And then we walk forward in time six months looking back and we're saying, man, I'm so thankful that I went through that. Why? Because of what it did in me. I could be focused on God doing things for me. God is interested in doing things in me. But we could be tricked by life, by the enemy, by social media, by the forces of life into feeling that because we don't see anything happening, that means that God isn't doing anything. But I've learned God is in the waiting. That a waiting season with God is never a wasted season. So time goes by in the life of Lazarus. Lazarus is on his deathbed. Like I said, he does not have an owie or a boo-boo. His tum-tum isn't upset. Lazarus is on his deathbed. He is dying. How many of you know dying is pretty permanent? It's not something that you regularly recover from. And this is, from Mary and Martha's perspective, they're looking at this saying, he's dying. Lazarus on his deathbed fighting for every breath that he takes. And at this point, often this is how I feel. It can't get any worse. So surely this is the moment where God steps in and saves us. Right? Like he's barely alive. Now is when Jesus is going to show up at the ninth hour, lay his hands on him, raise him up from the bed, and we're going to shout hallelujah. You know, we could do that with our rent, you know? It's like the rent is due tomorrow, and so we're like, yes, God is going to show up tomorrow. Or, you know, we see him in, you know, with maybe you're in a relationship, and they're like, you know, you're getting ready to sign the divorce papers, and you're thinking, surely the angel of love is going to encamp around us and circle us, and God will resurrect this marriage. Maybe you're getting ready, and they're putting the IV in your arm for chemotherapy. And you're thinking, surely God has to come now. And in verse 17, Lazarus dies. And if you can imagine the intense confusion that Mary and Martha would have experienced. Like, I ate with you, and I was with you. And I worshiped you, and I served you, and and I mean, I've, I've watched you heal Roman soldiers, people that we don't even care about. And like, I'm your people. I've been with you. I walked with you. And you let my brother die, my, your best friend. Scripture actually shows us that when Jesus heard the word coming from Mary and Martha, 
he actually went to a town that was farther away from where they were. If you could imagine that feeling, and I mean, we don't have to imagine too hard because you're probably in this season right now. And in John chapter 11, verse 17, it says this, that on his arrival, this is Jesus, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. The NIV makes a statement. It says that he had, he had bad odor. I love how the King James Version said it because somehow they make death sound so holy. They said that he stinketh. <laughs> now, it's very important that we understand why the fourth day. Because in first century kind of beliefs at that time, they believed that on kind of like the first three days after someone dies, they're only like kind of dead. That they had this belief, this is actually true, that, that there's the spirit of the person would kind of hover near to that person. So for them to kind of come back to life uh, wasn't really that crazy of a thing. Like I'm sure it was maybe like people had fallen into comas or something. They seemed dead for a few days and then like two days later they pop. So they had this belief that said, well, oh, you know, and I could imagine that. They're thinking, well, Jesus, like, okay, he's dead, but you still have three days, Jesus, right? You still have a little bit of time working out, right? Like you ever seen Princess Bride? And they're talking about Wesley and they're like, is he dead? And they're like, no, he's not dead. He is just nearly dead, right? And this was kind of that same idea. So when the fourth day comes, it's basically like game over. At the fourth day, they believe that their spirit is gone and it has gone to wherever their spirit would go to. This is it. It's over. He's decomposing. There's no chance of a miracle. Jesus, you let me down. You failed me. You didn't show up. You could have came. You didn't. You've done it for others. I've watched you do it for others. I've seen others be in worse situations and you did it for them. Where were you? Now remember, God's delays are not God's denials, right? But we see the humanity. I love when we get to see the humanity of people because it makes me feel comfortable inside of my humanity. And we see this in John chapter 11, verse 20. It says this, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, it says, she went out to meet him, right? Now, <clears throat> this wasn't like a friendly, like, oh, Jesus, I'm so happy to see you. Right? This would have been like, you know, Martha went full Karen, right? Like, take me to your manager, Jesus, hand on the hip, pointing out, demanding, where were you? It says, obviously, Mary stayed home, right? Because she was still doing her hippie thing. And in verse 21, this is what Martha says. She says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I love verse 22 because I believe that the majority of us honestly live in the tension of verse 21 and 22 throughout our entire earthly existence. She goes from saying, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And in verse 22, she says this, but I know 
that even now God will give you whatever you ask. She said, Jesus, I don't understand it. I don't get why you wouldn't show up. I don't get why you didn't come. But here's the deal. I still believe. I'm really mad at you and I'm frustrated and I'm angry. But in the midst of my frustration and my anger, my trust in you remains unshakable. I don't get it. I don't like it. It makes me angry. But Jesus, I trust you. And I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. So we're waiting. We're waiting and we're praying. We're waiting and we're seeking. And it seems like it's never going to happen. You know, that business that you started, that you've been believing for and sowing the seeds, it just seems like nothing is happening. The relationship, you know, you're on day 27 of the love dare. And it seems like the relationship just isn't progressing. It seems like your health just seems to continue to go from worse to worse. You know, it's like, God, I believe you. I trust you. God, I'm worshiping you. I honor you. God, I'm serving you. And why aren't you doing anything about this? You know, God, you told me that if I would just pray and believe that you would answer my prayers and you're just not meeting my expectations. Now, here's the second thing that I learned about living inside of a waiting season is that if God always met your expectations, he would never have the opportunity to exceed them. Let me say that again. If God always met your expectations, he would never have the opportunity to exceed them. You know, when I was at home and I was studying, I forgot to bring my paper Bible here, but as I was going through this, this, this scripture, this story, I saw something very, very interesting, and it was almost as if it was placed this way, but maybe it was just placed like this for me, was that the end of page 907 on my Bible was Martha telling Jesus that you left us and you didn't show up and now my brother is dead. And, and I turned the page and I see Jesus give his response that we're going to read in verse 23. That 907, there's no hope. 908, the miracle begins. 907, it seems that there's no answer. 908, Jesus, the answer, shows up and begins to do it. 907, 908. Maybe some of you aren't necessarily getting this right now. 907, 908. That at the tick of a second, at the tick of a moment, at the turn of a page, everything in your life can change in just a single moment with Jesus. It's a moment. And this is what Jesus says to her in verse 23. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. 907, there's no hope. 907, he's dead. It's been four days and he stinketh. 908, a moment later, a second later, and a turn of a page later. And Jesus says to her, Martha, your brother will rise again. 
Now, Martha, obviously, having been taught by Jesus, she knows, and it says that she answers, you know, like, yeah, Jesus, that's great. You know, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection of the last day. You know, I know you've told me about this, that we're all going to be risen again and reunited with Christ sometime in the future, but I wanted my brother now, right? It's like when people tell you that, like, you know, so, and you will collect treasures in heaven, and you're like, yeah, that's awesome, and I'm all about that, but I can use some treasures right now. I can't pay my bills. I can't feed my kids. I have sickness in my body. My marriage is falling apart. Sure, in the future. But Martha is saying, I wanted my brother now. And Jesus makes the statement, which I believe is the reason for all of this. Because remember, Jesus is trying to do something in her before he does something for her. Jesus says this. You know, Martha, you're thinking about the resurrection being some event in the future. But Jesus says to her this, I am the resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. You see, Mary and Martha wanted a healing. Jesus wanted to introduce them to a new life. Jesus wanted them to understand that, listen, this isn't just some event that happens in the future at some time where I resurrect dead things. He wanted them to know that, listen, I am the resurrection. If you bring anything to me that is dead, I will cause that thing to come back to life. This is who Jesus is. He wanted to separate us from this feeling of being powerless to understand that in him, we have been given everything that we need. He is never late. But sometimes he does make us wait. This is what Jesus was saying. Listen, it, it doesn't matter how it seems. Can I tell you that online right now? It does not matter how it seems. Listen, we're not standing here. I'm not standing here trying to make it seem that what you're going through isn't real or that we're going to send you a magical pill for $9.95 a month and that's going to make all your problems go away. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the resurrection. doesn't matter how dead that thing seems. God is not limited to the natural expectation of situations. He wasn't limited to three days. I think Jesus intentionally showed up on the fourth day so that there would be no natural ability to believe, except that we could only believe in his ability to defy everything that we could possibly believe in life. Jesus says, I am resurrection. You know, Martha, I know that you wanted a miracle. I know that you had an expectation of me, but I'm here for something bigger. I need you to understand that I am not limited. Nothing is impossible for me. And Jesus says this in 43. Jesus said, take the stone away. I think for us, sometimes the stones in our life are the excuses. The stones for us are the situations, the traumas, the things that keep us stuck, feeling that whatever we're in, 
Jesus says, take the stone away. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Verse 44 says it like this, very, very plainly, and the dead man came out. Church, can I tell you that God's delays are not God's denials. We all find ourselves waiting. But with God, a waiting season is never a wasted season. Sometimes instead of seeking the solutions, we need to start seeking the questions. God, what are you trying to do in me before you do this thing for me? Can I tell you that just because you're not married doesn't mean that God isn't preparing someone for you. Just because you lost your job doesn't mean that God isn't preparing a better one for you. Can I tell you that just because you can't conceive or you haven't been able to conceive doesn't mean that you won't. Or it doesn't mean that you aren't going to adopt someone who needs to be rescued. I've learned something very, very real. That often the scene of our greatest disappointment becomes the setting for our greatest miracles. So I wanna pray for you real quick. I'm sure if we're honest, everybody could say that in some big way or some small way, that we're finding ourselves on page 907, moment 907. And maybe it's been 8.48 and 59 and 9.03 and maybe you've been waiting a long time. Maybe you're finding yourself frustrated and angry maybe. Maybe your faith is feeling like it's being challenged or shaken because you don't understand why God can let you wait this long. that's you, I'm just going to ask you, let's just bow our head and close our eyes. If you're online, obviously if you're driving, please don't bow your head and close your eyes. <laughs> but I believe this is a moment as we tick over the year into 2021 that we're determined that like Martha said, but even now I know. Yeah, you could have done it a whole bunch of other ways. I wish you would have done it before and I wish you would have showed up when I asked and I stepped out and told all my friends that you were gonna do it and you didn't do it and I'm frustrated and I'm this strange mix of angry and hopeful and frustrated and broken and expectant and I don't even know where I am, but I know that even now. Father, I'm asking for every man, woman, and child who sits at 907, waiting, wondering. Give us the faith of Martha that would say that even now I know. Come on, Lord, I want some of that even now faith 
that even now in the midst of the impossibility, even now in the midst of the doctor's reports and the divorce papers and even now with an empty bank account, even now I know that you are the resurrection, that you cause dead things to come to life. Lord, we ask for your grace as we wait, that we would be those Galatians 6, 9 people, that we would not grow weary because we know in due season we will reap. In Jesus' name.